Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us now so that your unfailing love and your salvation would come to us according to your promise. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel. We are nearing the end of the book and uh, it is becoming more and more exciting as we look at the division that's there between Saul and David. How did we get here? If you're new to the history of Israel, it may be confusing as to what period of history this is in, uh, but basically you've got at the beginning of the Bible, you have Genesis with the creation of the world, you have Adam and Eve, the first parents, from them you get Abraham, from Abraham you eventually get the 12 tribes of Israel, they end up in the land of Egypt. Uh, where they're persecuted by Pharaoh. Then Moses takes them out of the land of Egypt with the mighty wonders that God does through him. They're led into the promised land by Joshua. And while they're in the promised land, they have a series of judges who look after them. And you can read about those in the book of Judges. And then the last of those judges is Samuel. And Samuel then becomes the transition between judges uh, leading Israel and actually having a king. The first king of Israel anointed by God is Saul. Uh, but then he uh, is shown to reject God in a number of ways, and so God anoints another man, and that is David. And so we're at that point where there's these two men who've been anointed by God as king over Israel, and there is, of course, conflict between them. Uh, the king, Saul, is very much aware that David is probably going to take over the throne, and we've seen that in a number of cases, a number of places as we've looked at 1 Samuel together. And now we have this uh, episode in the life of David and Saul, where Saul is once again chasing David. He is chasing him, and uh, he has found out where uh, David is meant to be, and he has gone down with 3,000 men to try and catch David. And at this point in the chapter, they are sleeping. They're sleeping there in the camp at Saul and his men. And what does David do? Well, he's come very close to the camp edge, and he sneaks into the camp and takes Saul's spear and water jug, and then the rest of the chapter is basically looking at a, a speech that is given by him to Saul and to Abner, the commander of Saul's men. Now, how does David feel about this pursuit? How does he feel with Saul continuing to chase him? And we've looked at it a number of times, these attacks that Saul has made upon his life. Well, he actually feels many things, and we've looked at some of those in the chapters that we've been looking at together. But today, he picks up on Abner's words in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 26, and he plays on them to describe how he feels. Uh, in verse 14, we see that Abner cries out to David, as David has been calling out to uh, Abner. We see in verse 14 that David called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? And Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? He wants to know who is this person who is calling to the king. And David hears this word and he picks up on it, uh, we believe, and then uses that word to describe how he feels in the later verses. And that is down in verse 20. Look with me at verse 20 of 1 Samuel 26, that's page 290 if you have a church Bible, where he says, Now do not let my blood fall to the ground, Far from the presence of the Lord, the king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Now, if you know some Hebrew, you will know that the word call, back in verse 14, is basically the same word but turned into a noun to describe a particular type of bird, and that is a partridge. And so a partridge in Hebrew is basically a caller. 
an animal that chirps away, uh, calling out. And we think of that with, a, with a, a bird. They're always there calling away, crowing away. And so he feels like he is a partridge. Now, why would he say that? Why would he feel like a bird that's out calling? Well, he feels pretty harmless. When you think of a bird, it's not a wolf, it's not a lion, it's not something that is going to attack the king, King Saul. A partridge is one of those types of hens that doesn't really fly well either. So it's a very harmless type of animal. And he feels like King Saul is there with his 3,000 chosen warriors and he's come out to... It's like they're on a hunt for a harmless bird. And even the, the, the attack that David could give is restricted. You think of a bird and how it can attack. Yes, it can peck, but it's a, it's a fairly useless weapon that it has at its disposal with its beak. And you see David, he sneaks into the camp He is right there with Saul before him and he is restricted by what he can do. Why? Because he says that he cannot lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. If you look with me at verse 11, Abishai is saying, look, I can strike this guy into the ground with my spear. But he says in verse 11, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He is restricted by what he can do. So he feels really harmless. He really is like a partridge. He might be able to peck, but even then, his peck does really no good compared to the attack of a hunter. And how else is David like a partridge? Well, he's one that keeps on calling out. I already mentioned about the way that it plays on the, on, on the, the words of Abner there. And you see that with David. What does a bird do? Well, while it's being attacked, while it's being chased, it, it calls out angrily at the, at the attacker, doesn't it? It doesn't keep quiet. Uh, it can keep quiet for a time, but it just can't help itself. It, it chirps. And this is what we've seen with David. We've seen a, in a previous chapter as well, when he, he, he was able to sneak in, um, snork, Saul came into a cave, he snuck up, cut a bit of Saul's garment off, and then later on, when Saul's moved on, what's David doing? Well, he's like this partridge calling out to Saul. And so David is like a partridge in that sense, that he is a harmless bird and he's one that is a caller, calling out, can't help himself and call out what's wrong, that this is wrong that you're, what you're doing to me, Saul, in chasing me. How else is David like a partridge? Well, he's been forced from his nest. He's been forced from his nest, from his inheritance, like a hunted partridge. And we see him talk about this in verse 19 of 1 Samuel chapter 26. Verse 19 of 1 Samuel 26 David says, Now let my lord the king listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the lord. They have now driven me from my share in the lord's inheritance and have said, Go serve other gods. How does David feel? He feels like a bird that's been pushed off its nest. He's not allowed to be with his father's family anymore in the land of Judah, which is his inheritance by birthright, because he is a descendant of Judah. He deserves that place to be. That's his nesting place. But he's been hunted off it by King Saul. And what does that then mean? Well, he's isolated from the joys of the come of being in that area. You think of where he is now. He's up in the mountains, in the desert. It's very different from being down in the grassy plains. If you think of a bird, poor thing, up in the mountains, there's not much to eat up in there. It's much better to be down in the plains. And that's what David is experiencing. It's a hard life where he is, up in the mountains, in the desert. And of course there he's isolated from the joys of being with the rest of the flock. He's not able to 
fraternise, to socialise with the other members of the flock, like a bird that's been pushed away from its nesting place. And, of course, he also feels that he's cut off from God. Look with me at verse 20. He says in verse 20, Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. If you look at verse 19 as well, the last sentence there, he says, They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go serve other gods. What is he talking about here? Why why does David feel like he's cut off from God's presence? Well, where is God's presence in the land of Israel? It's where the Ark of God is. Yes, of course, God is everywhere, but his special presence was at the tabernacle with the Ark of God there. Can David go to meet with God, to sacrifice as he is commanded to do by the law? He cannot, because Saul has driven him away from his nesting place. It is as though God is like this great conservationist who looks after the animals on an animal preserve. And this little partridge has been chased away from the conservationist, from the ranger that looks after his animals. He is cut off and he feels like one day his blood will fall to the ground far away from his inheritance, far away from the Lord's presence. He will no longer be able to go to the ark of God and worship God in the prescribed way in his presence there. And so David feels like this partridge that is pushed away. Now how else is David like a partridge? Well, even while he is in the hills, after being driven from the nest, these men are still chasing him. These are determined hunters. They're not content to just push him off the nest and let him go and maybe attack somebody else that's closer. No, they keep going. They keep chasing him up into the mountains like you would a bird that you're enjoying for sport that you're just chasing. So how did David endure this? You can see, you can hear the note of despair in his voice here as he feels like, he says, even a flea, like you're chasing a flea. You're you're being absolutely foolish using all these resources to chase a harmless bird, a flea. How does he feel here? Well, he's despairing in one sense. But how does he keep going? How does he keep going? Well, he trusted God. And we see this in verse 23. Verse 23, he says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Although he feels cut off from the presence of God at the ark, he knows that God is with him. And what does he trust about the Lord? That the Lord will reward those who are righteous and those who are faithful. That the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. And so that helps him to continue to go on to continue to go on as this partridge that is being hunted. Now, how is this chapter helpful for us today? Thousands of years after the fact, how is it helpful for us today? Well, often we can feel like a partridge in this world. How so? Well, we can feel like a harmless bird. We're not out to hurt others. We're not out to hurt others like a lion or a wolf would be, but to help others, to love others. And as we interact in this world, what do we find ourselves doing? Well, we find ourselves calling out before those who would attack us and telling them that what they're doing is not good. We see that with David. He calls out to Abner. He doesn't call out to Saul. He says to Abner, what you're doing is not good. You're meant to be protecting the Lord's anointed. And what do we find ourselves doing in this world? We find ourselves calling out that people are doing what is not good. In the face of sexual sin, 
in the face of abortion, drunkenness, gossip, coarse language. What do we find ourselves doing? Chirping, not good, not good, not good. And as we chirp, what happens? Well, we're often hunted from our nest. By whom? By unbelievers. Why? For many reasons. But one can be jealousy, like Saul and David, in particular, this hatred that they have for a reminder of their sinfulness. And so at work, with friends, on public transport, amongst family, even at church, what happens? As we cry, not good, not good, people attack us. How? Well, they shoot words at us, and they may even respond with violence. In some parts of the world, imprisonment, and even it seems like increasingly maybe in our nation it will happen. And you see how this can easily happen. You can be a footballer, a professional footballer, and suddenly you're hunted. You're hunted. Why? For not affirming homosexuality on your uniform. You weren't out to hurt anyone, you were just out to play football. And suddenly, you're hunted. The whole nation seems to be hunting you. And all you were doing was trying to play football. And that's just an example that's current for us today. But you can see it in your own life. You're out to just function in this world, to be harmless, to be kind to others, to love them, and to tell people that when they're not doing something that's not good, you just tell them it's not good. That's not helpful for you. And what happens? You're suddenly hunted. You're suddenly hunted. And you feel driven from your nest. And we start to feel really driven from our nest. Why? Because we should be in heaven, shouldn't we? We should be in a happy place. We sometimes start to think that on earth, that this should be heaven. We should be respected here and honoured and be able to enjoy a peaceful life. We should be in heaven. We should be with the rest of the flock of God's people in God's presence, the great conservationist looking after us in heaven, not on this treacherous, painful earth. There are many good things here, but we continue to be reminded that this world is not our nest after all. And how else do we feel like a partridge? Well, even when we find a place of safety in the hills of this world, we're hunted. You might get a new job. Last job, you're persecuted because you're a Christian. You get a new job, you get new friends who, don't, who you think will be okay with you being a Christian. You may even find a new church. And what happens? Someone has a go at you in your new place. David, he got to the mountains, thinks he's safe there. Now, Saul continues to hound him there with 3,000 chosen men. So how can we be a David and keep going whilst not attacking but calling out in love, cooing out in love to others? Well, like David, we need to trust in God's reward for righteousness and faithfulness. We need to look at verse 20 and see that the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. And we need to look forward to that time where we will go to the heavenly nest and we will be able to dwell with other righteous partridges and under the conservationist protective care. But as we look at verse 23, and we see the promise that is there, don't we feel a pang of guilt? Verse 23 says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. Don't we feel a pang of guilt and ask the question, am I really righteous and faithful enough to be rewarded 
by God. Haven't we all stabbed people while they slept? How so? Well, isn't that what gossip is? Talking behind somebody's back. They have no way to defend themselves and you're talking badly about them, slandering them. Isn't hatred murder? If you hate someone in your heart, Jesus says, you're guilty of murder. David is there with Saul lying on the ground and he refrained from murdering the man that is before him. But haven't we all murdered others? The anger that rises so easily in our hearts. Haven't we murdered others? Can we really say with David, verse 24, verse 24, he says, As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Have we really valued the lives of others so that the Lord would value our lives and deliver us from all trouble? Have we really done that? Can we say we have a perfect record of valuing our neighbour as ourselves? And so therefore God should value our life and deliver us from all trouble. Don't we deserve to be hunted like David was? But even more so, whatever hunting we experience in this life, don't we deserve far more because of our unbelief? because of the way that we have treated the Lord and our fellow man. Don't we deserve to be hunted and butchered as a bird for all eternity, for even our righteous actions? The answer is yes. God promises that one day all sinners will be hunted and caught and butchered for eternity. So is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for us? Well, the answer is yes. If we trust in one who was hunted and caught and butchered in our place, then we can go in safety to the heavenly nest for all of eternity. What am I speaking about? Who am I speaking about? The Lord Jesus. Wasn't Jesus like a partridge too? Wasn't he like a partridge too? How so? Wasn't Jesus perfectly harmless when he was here on earth to those around him? Wasn't he like a bird? He wasn't a wolf. He wasn't a lion. Wasn't he out to help others? You see the miracles that he does. Do they benefit him or are they for the benefit of others as he's healing people, as he's feeding people? He's out to love and heal others. And wasn't Jesus one who kept on calling out what was right and true and saying to people, what you're doing is not good, correcting them for their own benefit, like a bird continuing to call? And wasn't Jesus then hunted from his nest like a partridge? How so? Well, he had to live in a miserable world like this. He had to come from heaven. The Son of God came to he from heaven to earth. And he was isolated from the rest of the flock in heaven and isolated from his father in one sense, the great conservationist coming here on earth. And even when he was on earth, in the hills, wasn't Jesus still hunted? We read of the attacks that were made to him in 1 Peter chapter 2 when Jacob read it for us before. And then we have that quote from Matthew 8 verse 20. What does he say? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. While he was on earth, the Lord Jesus felt like a bird without a nest because of the attacks of those against him. And then what happened? Well, unlike David, Jesus one day was truly isolated from the rest of the flock, taken away from all those 
who were with him, abandoned by them and taken to a hill and butchered like a harmless bird. Who would do such a thing? It was rulers, religious leaders, secular leaders, Pilate and Herod, and God himself. Now, why would that be the case? Why would the most harmless man to move on the face of this earth be treated in such a way? Why would God send his son from heaven, from the place of safety and security, to be hunted and butchered like a bird on a hill? It's so that we would not be hunted and butchered like a bird for all of eternity. What do I mean? Well, if we trust in Christ Jesus, what happens? Well, Christ was hunted and butchered in our place. Jesus is like the sacrificial bird. You've got a flock of birds, and one bird is attacked by the hunters, and they all chase that bird. And the rest of the flock is able to go free because the attackers have gone after that one bird. And if we trust in Christ, what also happens? His righteousness and faithfulness is ours. His righteousness and faithfulness is ours because he was righteous and faithful always. Even when he was being attacked, he was still faithful to God. We read that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 before. It says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The Lord Jesus was always faithful. He always entrusted himself to God. And so what does that mean? Well, verse 23 comes into effect for both Jesus and for all those who trust in him. What did verse 23 of 1 Samuel 26 teach us? The Lord delivered, uh, sorry, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord has rewarded Jesus for his righteousness and his faithfulness. And we hear that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 9 and to 9. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus did not remain a butchered bird on the side of a hill. No, he rose again and has ascended to the heavenly nest, to the reward that is for him. And that is the same reward that is for all those who obey him, who trust in him. And so if we trust in Christ Jesus, what will happen? Well, one day we'll be taken to share in Christ's reward in the heavenly nest. It's not as though we are birds. And Jesus is the bird that was chased and the hunters chased him. And we are set free from the hunters to continue to live in this world. Because what good would that be? Soon some other hunters would come along and attack us. We would have no eternal security. But instead, Jesus has been chased. He has been caught. He has been butchered. And then he has ascended into heaven. And all those who trust in him will ascend into heaven with him. And they will experience the great joys of heaven. What are the great joys of heaven? 
was to dwell with the rest of the flock, to dwell with the rest of the flock in love and in peace, and to dwell with the great conservationist, God himself, to be with him in heaven and to experience his continual love. That is the joy of heaven and the joy of knowing that we have eternal security. We'll never be hunted from the heavenly nest. We will dwell in peace and safety. No evil rulers are there to chase us out of heaven. We will have eternal security. So if you've never trusted in Christ before, what should you do? Well, you should know that the hunting that you feel in this world, the attacks that you have experienced, and if you're of any particular age, even into primary school, you should have felt at some point the nastiness of other human beings towards you. Even when you've been doing the right thing, you will have felt an attack from others. Know that that hunting that you feel, the attacks that others have laid upon you, is nothing compared to what you deserve to what is coming to you for your sin against God. And so be afraid and then turn to Christ in holy fear and trust in Christ Jesus. What should you trust about Christ? Trust that Christ was hunted and caught and butchered on the hill of Calvary for you as your substitute. And trust that Christ's righteousness and faithfulness is yours by the Spirit's power. And trust that Christ's reward and deliverance from all trouble is yours. That as Christ has valued the lives of others, so your life will be valued and you'll be delivered from all trouble, as it says there in verse 24 of 1 Samuel 26. And then rejoice. Trust in Christ and then rejoice. Rejoice in your glorious hope the glorious hope that all of us who trust in Christ Jesus have experienced, even while we're hunted in this world. I can make no guarantee to you today that if you trust in Christ Jesus, that tomorrow you won't feel someone attack you, that you won't feel someone hunt you. You might be going about your business in your workplace and suddenly there's some sort of regulation that comes into play, like these footballers experienced this week, and suddenly you're hunted. You might be there with your family thinking everything's okay and then suddenly the conversation turns in a particular direction and you're the one that is hunted. Now, how are you going to have joy even in that time? Well, it's by remembering what you have in Christ Jesus and what the hope is that we enjoy in him. That one day we will, we will dwell in the heavenly nest with the rest of the flock in love and peace. That one day we will dwell with Christ himself, God, Emmanuel, God with us, the great conservationist who looks after his animals, who looks after his flock. And we rejoice that one day we will be in a place where we don't have to fear that the conversation will go in a particular direction and suddenly we'll be attacked, where we don't have to fear that the work employer will suddenly put some sort of regulation upon us. That means that we'll be hunted and even taken out of the workplace, fired from the workplace. We don't have to fear that. One day we'll be in a place of eternal security and so we can sing with joy, even while we are hunted, because we know that we have a firm foundation 
in Christ. And that is what we will sing in a moment in that wonderful hymn that is printed in your bulletins. Look with me at the last hymn, verse 2. Verse 2, Motes him where he says in verse 2, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And the chorus reads, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When we, like a bird, think that darkness veils his lovely face, that we're cut off from heaven, we, we want to be in heaven where the nest is, and we feel like God's lovely face is veiled. We feel like we're in a high and stormy gale. What do we remember? Well, our anchor holds within the veil because on Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the righteous judge. You are the one who rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. But, O oh Lord, we then confess that we deserve to be hunted. We deserve to be butchered like a bird because we have not been righteous. We have not been faithful to yourself. But, Lord, we thank you that Christ was hunted, that he was sacrificed for us who believe so that his righteousness, his faithfulness is ours, and so his reward is ours. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to endure the hunting of this world with joy, because we look to the time when we will be taken home to dwell with you and your people for all of eternity. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.